to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Does your life ever feel like that video clip? Maybe, maybe you have days that, that feel like that. Something happens, a trial, adversity, a challenge, some hardship comes your way. And when it does, it kind of just feels like you're falling down a mountain. Falling, 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 wondering, when's it going to stop? That's pretty much, if I'm honest, how I always feel when it comes to my dog, Chief. Uh, some of you, I think there he is. Yeah, oh, if you want him, you can have him. Uh, some of you have been around him. He has so much promise as a puppy, if you remember from years ago. So much promise. Now, most days, I spend wondering, when's it all going to stop? That's because he barks incessantly. He rips up my carpet. He destroys my house. One day, he smelled like poop. You know why? Because he was eating poop, my kid's poop, from the toilet. He's nasty. Don't let him lick you. And this picture... Some of you know this story. This picture, what you can't see from this one is that uh, when that was taken, he had a small piece of corn cob lodged in his small intestine. Why? Because he loves to be in a trash can. In particular, he loves to eat from the trash can. And so when we were on vacation a few years ago, he helped himself to a couple slobbery corn cobs that my kids had had for dinner. Turns out that was stupid, right? It was stupid because corn cobs don't digest. They get stuck. And when they get stuck, they do lots of internal damage. And in Chief's case, two point, uh, sorry, a two-piece, two-inch piece of corn cob and two and a half feet of his small intestines had to be surgically removed from inside of him. This little garbage can buffet of his cost me $1,800. Yeah. You can have him. Now, in more ways than one, that was hard for Noel and I. We didn't have that kind of money. Uh, that that, that kind of sucked, to be honest. And, and at the same time, we'll be the first to admit, things could have been far worse. Things could have been far worse. All jokes aside, I know that several of you know that things could have been worse firsthand because right now, that much worse is happening to you. Right now, you're going through whatever the much worse is. Your parents recently split up, and it's tearing your family apart. A friend has betrayed you, and it's ruining your reputation and relationships in your life. You recently lost someone that you love. Billboards and advertisements and social media, they all have promised you that by now you'd be having the time of your life in college but you find yourself lonelier than you've ever been. Maybe you're just completely overwhelmed with school. You see, if we're honest, life is hard sometimes, isn't it? I mean, like, like falling down a mountain hard. 
Now, maybe that hasn't happened to you yet. Someday it will, though. Someday it will. We all have hard things happen to us. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. Hard things will happen. There's a popular saying, a phrase that that you've probably seen, maybe you've heard, maybe you've said it, maybe you believe it. It's this, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, of course, that phrase, it's meant to be an encouragement, right? It's meant to bring hope in the midst of adversity. It's meant to bring hope in in the midst of a challenge. We say it to reassure ourselves and others that, that when life feels like we're falling down a mountain, we just need to trust God because God's not gonna give us anything that we can't handle. It sounds kind of good, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it certainly reassures us. It gives us a little hope. Maybe it makes us feel a little better. There's just one problem. It's a lie. It's not true. Nowhere in the Bible does God say he won't give you and I more than we can handle. In fact, if you can find that verse, I'll give you $20. You won't because he didn't say it. It's a lie. It's a bumper sticker phrase. It's a cute meme in our culture. It's a nice idea, but it simply isn't true. You see, in fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible is filled with stories. It's filled with stories of people and their hardships, people facing trials, people facing adversity, people not able to handle them. There's so many examples that that we could talk about, but, but let's think about a few for a second. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with with his story, he was his father's favorite son, but his brothers, what? They didn't like that, did they? And so what do they do? They, They throw him into a pit, and they leave him to die. Great brothers, huh? But then they start thinking, and and they say, well, you know, if we're just going to get rid of him, we might as well get something out of him. And so at least one of them pulls him out of the pit, and then what do they do? They sell him into slavery to make some money out of him. Now, Joseph, the whole time, is powerless. He can't do anything. God has to intervene. God has to turn the story around. At the end of the story, we see that God, what, was, what, what they did as evil, God brings good out of it. Or, or think about Moses and the Israelites as they fled from Pharaoh and his soldiers in Egypt. They're running, 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 trying to escape these soldiers, and they get trapped by the Red Sea. Egyptian soldiers closing in on one side, a giant sea on the other, and what happens? Through Moses, God parts the waters so that the Israelites can escape to the other side. They couldn't handle that situation. Or there's Daniel. Surely you've heard the story of Daniel, the young Israelite prophet who was held captive in Babylon after Babylon overthrew Jerusalem. At one point, Daniel is is told that he has to pray to the Babylonian king, but he refuses. He says, no, I'm only going to pray to my God. And so what happens? The king throws him into a a pit with lions in it to kill him. And God has to send an angel to rescue him. So we could go all night, and I know none of you want me to do that. So last one, jump to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. Maybe some of you are familiar with this this chapter, it's, it's sometimes referred to as the hall of faith because in Hebrews chapter 11, story after story, people after people, we see their faith in God. 
And yet, this is what we read. This is what happens to some of them. Pick up in verse 36. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Convinced yet? See, God's people, God's people have always found themselves in situations that they couldn't handle. Now, I get it. Our experience in 2019, United States, is much different than what we just read in Hebrews chapter 11. You and I aren't in danger, thank God, of being sawed in two for our faith in him. You and I don't face flogging or the threat of being jailed or killed for our beliefs. Certainly that's happening present tense in other places in the world, but not here. That's not my point, though. My point is that if the Bible is filled with stories of people in their hardship, if, if God's people have always found themselves in situations that they can't handle, why would we believe otherwise? Why should you and I expect anything different? Why would we buy into that lie? Back in 2014, Amazon released. I don't think they do it anymore. I tried finding something more uh, recent, but I couldn't. So 2014 it is. Amazon releases its most highlighted Kindle passages of, of, of all time up to that point. And so, so highlighted almost twice as much, almost twice as much as any other passage in any other, non, or any other fiction book was a single sentence from Catching Fire, the second book in the Hunger Games series. Maybe you've seen the movie or read the book. Here's what it said. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. See, Katniss Everdeen, she gets it right. Sometimes things happen to people. Sometimes things happen to us. And we aren't equipped to deal with it. See, whether you've experienced it or not, at some point, all of us, all of us will tumble down the mountain. We will face some kind of hardship. We will encounter some kind of adversity or trial. And so when that hardship happens in our lives, who do we turn to? Where do we go? What do we do? What do we do? You know what's interesting, that, that same year, 2014, Amazon also released the most highlighted Bible passage of all time on its Kindle devices. You know what it was? It wasn't John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not he perish but have eternal life. It wasn't that one. It wasn't a line from Psalm 23. We sang a song earlier, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Nope. Wasn't that wasn't Jeremiah 29, 11, some of you know that, for I, ha I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Wasn't that either? No, the most highlighted Bible passage was from Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. This is what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the same year that, that because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them is the most highlighted fiction passage. Do not be anxious about anything is the most highlighted Bible verse. I think that says something about us. I think it reveals something that's true. It reveals that for a lot of us, our, our response to hardship, our reaction to adversity and trials, or, or even the anticipation of them in the future, our first reaction is to be anxious. It's to worry. See, we're, we're afraid because contrary to the lie that we're told, contrary to the lie that we want to believe, we don't actually know how to handle the hardships in our lives as much as we thought we did. And so when we're falling down a mountain and tumbling and tumbling and tumbling, we don't have control. It's chaotic. It's uncertain. It hurts. But that's the opposite of what we want, isn't it? I mean, it's the opposite of what I want. I, I want control. I, I want certainty. I want the good life. I want a life of comfort, a life of ease. But sometimes things happen to people and they aren't equipped to deal with them. It's certainly true of Jesus' friends, his disciples. They too were familiar with hardship. They too were familiar with anxiety and fear. They too faced hardships that they couldn't handle on their own. How did they get through them? How did they get through them? If you brought your Bibles tonight, turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. If you didn't, it's okay. The verses will be up on the screen behind me. Before we read our passage, though, let me set up the scene for you. Jesus has just done another one of his miracles. He's taken five loaves of bread and a couple fish, and he's turned them into enough food to, to, to feed thousands of people that had gathered around him. Enough for, for all who were in the crowd, it says, to eat and be satisfied. And just after that, just after that miracle, after the feeding, this is what we read. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. Forgive me if, if this isn't your thing, but, but I like visuals. They help me understand. Maybe this helps you. So this is, a, this is a picture. I think we have it. That's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. That's the, the body of water that Jesus is sending his disciples across. Now I want you to notice kind of in the background, notice the terrain, the mountains, the water. We call it the Sea of Galilee, but really it's a lake. It's about six miles wide, 14 miles long. On a clear day, you can see every point from around the lake. And so it's big, but it's not huge. Certainly not a sea. And this, this is a picture of what's known as the Jesus boat in Israel. It's an ancient fishing boat that dates back to Jesus' day in the first century A.D., this particular boat was discovered in 1986 on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, nearly 2,000 years after Jesus. Now, it's not the boat, but it's the sort of boat that, that Jesus and his disciples, who, by the way, were mostly fishermen, it's the sort of boat that they would have used. And it's presumably the size and the kind of boat that, that Jesus' disciples get into as they cross the Sea of Galilee here in verse 22. Okay, moving on. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind 
was against them. Now, something else to know about the Sea of Galilee is, is that it's 696 feet below sea level. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because, because it's so low, it's often subject to violent downdrafts, sudden storms as, as the wind comes over the eastern mountains and suddenly drops onto the sea. And so when this happens, fierce storms, they arise really quickly in a, in a really short period of time. That's what's happening here in this verse. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, Truly, you are the Son of God. See, Jesus' disciples were no strangers to hardship and storms in their lives, both literally and metaphorically. How did they survive? How did they get through them? What, what can you and I learn from this story that helps us face our own hardships that, that happen inevitably, but also sometimes suddenly in our lives? How do we respond, not with anxiety and fear, but with faith in God? How do we face the storms in our lives with faith instead of fear? Well, the first thing in order to face storms with faith instead of fear is we have to know who sends us into the storm. We have to know who sends us into the storm. Look back at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Who sends the disciples into the storm? Who sends them into the chaos, into the uncertainty, into the hardship that they aren't equipped to deal with? Jesus. Jesus does. It's not random. It's, it's not an accident. It's purposeful. And if Jesus purposely sends his own friends into their storms, then we can be sure that Jesus purposely sends us into our storms as well. Some of you know this, but, but a little over four years ago, my wife and I got news that uh, we might lose our son. Uh, Noelle was very early in, in her pregnancy and um, started having major complications, and, and to make matters worse, uh, we found all of this out about four days after we had landed in Japan to live there for the summer. And because of the complications, doctors wouldn't let us fly home, and so uh, they said it wasn't safe, and so, so we're in Japan. And as you can imagine, it was a roller coaster of emotions for us. We were mad, we were scared, we were anxious, we were confused, we, we felt alone, we felt out of control, we felt helpless. And after a long summer, we finally make it back to the United States thinking that it's gonna get easier, except it only gets worse. 
The morning of a, a, a Veritas um, kickoff barbecue, Noel has to go to the ER. And when we checked into the ER very early in the morning, doctors immediately began preparing us for the worst. They said, you might have this baby today. But that was a problem. It was a problem because he was only 26 and a half-ish weeks old at the time. So about three and a half, a little more, months premature. And they told us, they said, we can't guarantee that he'll live. We're not sure he'll survive. Now, thankfully, he wasn't born that day. He wasn't born the next. He wasn't born the next. Noelle spent a long three months, three months on bed rest, but eventually she gave birth to a healthy baby boy, our son. We named him Jack, uh, which means God is gracious. Now, that's just part of my story. That's just one of the, the many storms that Jesus has sent me into, sent my family into. I know you have your own, though. I know you have your own. I've actually been talking with several of you over the past few weeks about those storms. You see, some of you in here have told me that, that you're dealing with paralyzing anxiety. Others of you are, are facing an unexpected breakup at some point in college. Some of you thought you left bullying behind, but it's followed you all the way here. Some of you have lost parents in college. You've lost grandparents. Some of you shared with me that, that you still haven't found any real friends. You're lonely. Some of you said that you heard words from a doctor that you never thought you'd hear. Some of you in this room told me that you're struggling with, with deep conflict with your friends. Others that you're confused and overwhelmed because you aren't sure what to do with your life. A few said that you're so stressed out because you're constantly trying to make your parents happy, but they never seem to be. A lot of you said that you're facing failure and rejection. Some that you don't feel like you fit in anywhere. See, I don't, I don't know what your specific story is. I don't know your specific hardship, but I do know that it's true that we all face storms in our lives. It's true, if you haven't yet, you will. And if you're like me at all, when it happens, when they come, the first thing that we tend to ask is why. Why, God? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why does Jesus send us into storms? See, I'll be honest, I wish I knew. I really do. I wish I knew, but I don't. It's a passage in 2 Corinthians that, that when everything that was going on with my son that, that, that I turn to often, um, it's in this passage that, that Paul is talking about his own hardships, the own, his own storms in his life. And this is, this is part of what he says, picking up in chapter 1, verse 8. This is Paul saying, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul is so depressed, he's despairing of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Why did, why did Paul go through all the things that he went through? Why does Jesus send us into storms? 
I don't know entirely, but one of the things that Paul says is that, that one of the reasons why you and I go through storms is to rely on Jesus, not ourselves. That you and I in the midst of storms need to rely on him and not ourselves. See, I don't, I don't know the specifics of why we go through the storms that we go through in life. But I do know from this passage that, that Jesus is in control of them, that Jesus has a plan for them, that Jesus has a purpose for this storm that he's brought into your life because Jesus is the one that puts you in the boat. Jesus is the one that sends you out into the storm. And so the question that all of us have to wrestle with, at least on some level, is are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust Jesus? Are you willing to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing in your life? See, you and I can face the storms in our life with faith instead of fear because Jesus is the one who puts us in the boat, but also because Jesus gets in the boat with us. Jesus gets in the boat with us. See, when the storm is raging, when the waves are crashing, when the wind's blowing, when it's dark all around and chaotic, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in the story? Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, which would have been between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You see, I find encouragement here because when the darkness is the greatest, when the disciples are most weary, Jesus comes. Jesus comes at just the right time. Jesus comes in his timing, which is always the right time. You see, the same thing's true in our lives. Jesus' timing might not be the timing that we expect. It might not be the timing that we want. It might not be the timing that's most convenient or comfortable for us, but Jesus always comes. He always comes and meets us in the midst of the storm and says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, I'm here. The waves crashing down on you, they're under my feet. I'm walking on them. The wind, the chaos, the darkness, the uncertainty, I'm holding it in the palms of my hand. I'm in control. So don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. I've got you, Jesus says. See, I think we learn from this passage that, that you and I can't handle the storms in our lives, but Jesus can. You and I aren't equipped to deal with the hardship that happens in our lives, but Jesus is. Do you trust him? See, Jesus is saying to you tonight through his word, he's saying, don't be afraid. I sent you into the storm, and I'm getting in the boat with you to get you through it. You can trust me. Do you? Do you trust Jesus? See, when the storm is all around you, when the waves really do feel like they're crashing down, are you looking to Jesus or are you looking to something else? Some of you probably remember this picture from a few years ago, right? 
the infamous dress that became a viral sensation. What color is it? It's clearly golden white, right? Yeah, I know, wrong, wrong. If you have no idea what we're talking about, believe it or not, although this thing does kind of look black and blue now, uh, it is black and blue, right? Some of us, at least I, might be the only one in the room. I see it. I know, okay, take the picture off. They're just gonna keep talking about it. I see that dress as white and gold. Now, sociologists, or not sociologists, scientists, psychologists, bloggers, media outlets, everybody has an explanation for why some of us see black and blue and some of us see gold and white. I don't really care about that, to be completely honest. I'm more interested in this. We often believe what we see with our eyes. We often believe what we see with our eyes, even if it's not true. Even if it's not true. See, I still think that dress is white and gold, and I've been looking at it all day, and all of you people and everybody else tells me that it's blue and black. Jesus told Peter to step out of the boat. Jesus told Peter to step out of the boat, and he said to come. He said to walk on the water, come to me. And Peter does. But look back at verse 30. When Peter sees the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. See, as long as Peter looks to Jesus, he's able to endure the storm. But the minute he stops, the minute that Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and instead looks to the wind, what happens? He begins to fear and he sinks. See, when Peter looks at the wind and the darkness and the chaos, he loses sight of Jesus. He begins to believe what his eyes see. His eyes see the wind. His eyes see the storm. And he starts to believe that the storm is in control even when it's not. Jesus is. And to prove that Jesus is in control of the storm, Jesus gets into the boat and what happens? The storm stops. The winds cease. And so in the midst of in the midst of the storms of your life, are your eyes on Jesus? Or do they wander to something else? See, because one of those things keeps us afloat and the other pulls us down. One of those things keeps us afloat and the other pulls us down. So the music team comes back. You're either coming out of a storm or getting ready to go into one. You're either coming out of a storm or getting ready to go into one. Storms, big and small, they exist in all of our lives. There's no denying it. And the only way that you and I can face these storms with faith instead of fear is to know that Jesus is the one that sends us into the storm. And not only that, Jesus promises to meet us in the midst of them. And so does God give us more than we can handle? Absolutely. Does God give us more than he can handle? Absolutely not. And so the next time that you find yourself surrounded by a storm, whenever that is, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus to lead you. Look to Jesus to sustain you. Look to Jesus to be your guide to get you to the other side. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. 
If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.